Section 1 of 1891 Collection Impressions of American Hotels by Max O'Rell. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading by Matt Perard. 1891 Collection by Various. Section 1 Impressions of American Hotels by Max O'Rell from A Frenchman in America Recollections of Men and Things Boston, January 6 Arrived here this afternoon and resumed acquaintance with American hotels. American hotels are all alike. Some are worse. Describe one and you have described them all. On the ground floor, a large entrance hall strewed with cuspidors for the men and a side entrance provided with a triumphal arch for the ladies. On this floor, the sexes are separated as at the public baths. In the large hall, a counter behind which solemn clerks, whose business faces relax not a muscle, are ready with their book to enter your name and assign you a number. A small army of colored porters ready to take you in charge not a salute not a word not a smile of welcome the negro takes your bag and makes a sign that your case is settled you follow him for the time being you lose your personality and become number three hundred and seventy five as you would in jail don't ask questions theirs not to answer don't ring the bell to ask for a favor if you set any value on your time. All the rules of the establishment are printed and posted in your bedroom. You have to submit to them. No question to ask. You know everything. Henceforth, you will have to be hungry from 7 to 9 a.m., from 1 to 3 p.m., from 6 to 8 p.m. The slightest infringement of the routine would stop the wheel, so don't ask if you could have a meal at four o'clock. You would be taken for a lunatic, or a crank, as they call it in America. Between meals, you will be supplied with ice water ad libitum. No privacy, no coffee room, no smoking room. No place where you can go and quietly sip a cup of coffee or drink a glass of beer with a cigar. You can have a drink at the bar and then go and sit down in the hall among the crowd. Life in an American hotel is an alternation of the cellular system during the night and of the gregarious system during the day, an alternation of the penitentiary systems carried out at philadelphia and at auburn it is not in the bedroom either that you must seek anything to cheer you the bed is good but only for the night the room is perfectly nude not even napoleon's farewell to his soldiers at fontainebleau as in france or strafford walking to the scaffold as in england not that these pictures are particularly cheerful Still, they break the monotony of the wallpaper. Here, the only oases in the brown or gray desert are cautions. 
First of all, I notice that, in a cupboard near the window, you will find some twenty yards of coiled rope, which, in case of fire, you are to fix to a hook outside the window. The rest is guessed. You fix the rope, and you let yourself go. From a sixth, seventh, or eighth story, the prospect is lively. Another caution informs you all that you must not do, such as your own washing in the bedroom. Another warns you that if, on retiring, you put your boots outside the door, you do so at your own risk and peril. Another is posted near the door, close to an electric bell. With a little care and practice, you will be able to carry out the instructions printed thereon. The only thing wonderful about the contrivance is that the servants never make mistakes. Press once for ice water. Press twice for hall boy. Press three times for fireman. Press four times for chambermaid. Press five times for hot water. Press six times for ink and writing materials. Press seven times for baggage. Press eight times for messenger. In some hotels, I have seen the list carried to number twelve. Another notice tells you what the proprietor's responsibilities are, and at what time the meals take place. Now, this last notice is the most important of all. Woe to you if you forget it. For if you should present yourself one minute after the dining-room door is closed, no human consideration would get it open for you. Supplications, arguments, would be of no avail, not even money. What do you mean, some old-fashioned European will exclaim, when the table d'hôte is over? Of course you cannot expect the menu to be served to you, but surely you can order a steak or a chop. No, you cannot, not even an omelette or a piece of cold meat. If you arrive at one minute past three, in small towns at one minute past two, you find the dining-room closed, and you must wait till six o'clock to see its hospitable doors open again. When you enter the dining-room, you must not believe that you can go and sit where you like. The chief waiter assigns you a seat, and you must take it. With a superb wave of the hand, he signs to you to follow him. He does not even turn round to see if you are behind him, following him in all the meanders he describes, amid the sixty, eighty, sometimes hundred tables that are in the room. He takes it for granted you are an obedient, submissive traveler who knows his duty. Altogether, I traveled in the United States for about ten months, and I never came across an American so daring, so independent, as to actually take any other seat than the one assigned to him by that tremendous potentate, the head waiter. Occasionally, just to try him, I would sit down in a chair I took a fancy to, but he would come and fetch me, and tell me that I could not stay there. In Europe, the waiter asks you where you would like to sit. In America, you ask him where you may sit. He is a paid servant, therefore a master in America. 
he is in command not of the other waiters but of the guests several times recognizing friends in the dining room i asked the man to take me to their tables i should not have dared go by myself and the permission was granted with a patronizing sign of the head i have constantly seen americans stop on the threshold of the dining-room door and wait until the chief waiter had returned from placing a guest to come and fetch them in their turn i never saw them venture alone and take an empty seat without the sanction of the waiter the guests feel struck with awe in that dining-room and solemnly bolt their food as quickly as they can you hear less noise in an american hotel dining-room containing five hundred people than you do at a french table d'hote accommodating fifty people at a german one containing a dozen guests or at a table where two italians are dining tete-a-tete -tete. the head waiter at large northern and western hotels is a white man in the southern ones he is a mulatto or a black but white or black he is always a magnificent specimen of his race there is not a ghost of a savor of the serving man about him no whiskers and shaven upper lips reminding you of the waiters of the old world but always a fine moustache the twirling of which helps to give an air of nonchalant superiority to its wearer the mulatto head-waiters in the south really look like dusky princes many of them are so handsome and carry themselves so superbly that you find them very impressive at first and would fain apologize to them you feel as if you wanted to thank them for kindly condescending to concern themselves about anything so commonplace as your seat at table in smaller hotels the waiters are all waitresses the waiting is done by damsels entirely or rather by the guests of the hotel if the southern head waiter looks like a prince what shall we say of the head waitress in the east the north and the west no term short of queenly will describe her stately bearing as she moves about among her bevy of reduced duchesses she is evidently chosen for her appearance she is divinely tall as well as most divinely fair and as if to add to her importance she is crowned with a gigantic mass of frizzled hair all the waitresses have this coiffure it is a livery as caps are in the old world but instead of being a badge of servitude it looks and is alarmingly emancipated so much so that before making close acquaintance with my dishes i always examine them with great care a beautiful mass of hair looks lovely on the head of a woman but one in your soup even if it had strayed from the tresses of your beloved one would make the corners of your mouth go down and the tip of your nose go up a regally handsome woman always goes well in the landscape as the french say and i have seen specimens of these waitresses so handsome and so commanding looking that if they care to come over to europe and play the queens in london pantomimes i feel sure 
they would command quite exceptional prices and draw big salaries and crowded houses the thing which strikes me most disagreeably in the american hotel dining room is the sight of the tremendous waste of food that goes on at every meal no european i suppose can fail to be struck with this but to a frenchman it would naturally be most remarkable in france where i venture to say people live as well as anywhere else if not better there is a horror of anything like waste of good food it is to me therefore a repulsive thing to see the wanton manner in which some americans will waste at one meal enough to feed several hungry fellow-creatures in the large hotels conducted on the american plan there are rarely fewer than fifty different dishes on the menu at dinner-time every day and at every meal you may see people order three times as much of this food as they could under any circumstances eat and after picking it and spoiling one dish after another send the bulk away uneaten i am bound to say that this practice is not only to be observed in the hotels where the charge is so much per day but in those conducted on the european plan that is where you pay for every item you order there i notice that people proceed in much the same wasteful fashion it is evidently not a desire to have more than is paid for but simply a bad and ugly habit i hold that about five hundred hungry people could be fed out of the waste that is going on at such large hotels as the palmer house or the grand pacific hotel of chicago and i have no doubt that such five hundred hungry people could easily be found in chicago every day i think that many europeans are prevented from going to america by an idea that the expense of traveling and living there is very great this is quite a delusion for my part i find that hotels are as cheap in america as in england at any rate and railway traveling in pullman cars is certainly cheaper than in european first-class carriages and incomparably more comfortable put aside in america such hotels as delmonico's the brunswick in new york the richelieu in chicago and in england such hotels as the metropole the victoria the savoy and take the good hotels of the country such as the grand pacific at chicago the west house at minneapolis the windsor at montreal the cadillac at detroit i only mention those i remember as the very best in these hotels you are comfortably lodged and magnificently fed for from three to five dollars a day in no good hotel of england france germany italy switzerland would you get the same amount of comfort or even luxury at the same price and those who require a sitting-room get it for a little less than they would have to pay in a european hotel the only very dear hotels i have come across in the united states are those of virginia there i have been charged as much as two dollars a day but never in my life did i pay so dear for what i had never in my life did i see so many dirty rooms or so many messes that were unfit for human food.
But I will just say this much for the American refinement of feeling to be met with. Even in the hotels of Virginia, even in the lunch rooms in small stations, you are supplied, at the end of each meal, with a bowl of water to rinse your mouth. End of Section 1 Impressions of American Hotels by Max O'Rell